Okay, here we are. You guys can see that okay, right? Yeah, I see it. Okay, very good. So um, we've been doing this uh, talk about um, the wounded healer, uh, how our wounds uh, are laid upon the experiences of Christ, which includes his wounds, and um, talking a little bit about how some of that helps to initiate healing. So uh, tonight, I want to talk a little bit about facing fear. I think that's a common emotion that we all have. And um, it's a fascinating study. We'll only touch on the topic a little bit tonight. But um, if I was to ask um, someone off the street what they might feel is the most frequent instruction that God gives to human beings, um, I think we would understand that there's a multitude of different answers and it'd be interesting in light of our times, maybe somebody might say that the most uh, frequent command that God gives is do not murder. Uh, we were just talking a little bit about the most recent tragedy out there in San Jose shooting that took the lives of eight people. Um, but it's not one of the 10 commandments. It's not even parts of the Sermon on the Mount most common command in all of scripture is do not be afraid. And it occurs over 65 times in the New International Version translation. And um, I think it touches upon what we all experience and we all uh, fight with at points in our lives. And that is that universal experience of fear. Um, when we think about fear, not all of it is bad. When you think about fear, you think about those things that can uh, alert us to some type of danger. But it seems as though a common response to fear, um, it'll produce one of three emotions in us when we face fear. Uh, sometimes it, we freeze in the moment. We don't know how to move. We don't know what to do, that type of thing. Sometimes we register it enough and we might flee the moment. Uh, we hear, we see a, dark, a dog coming at us, showing its teeth and some people might freeze in that situation. Some people might find uh, a way to protect themselves. And then other people just kick the dog in the mouth maybe. And that's the third response when we are fearful that we fight. And so these three expressions, freeze and flight and uh, fight, and um, uh, is something that I think can explain a lot of the things that are going on in the world around us. So uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about fear um, and how we give it energy, I guess, uh, in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our choosing. And then we want to take a look at the life of Christ. So fear is a real emotion. I think all of us understand that. We all experience it at various points in time. Um, but as adults, it might take on different forms. And I've listed several of these here. Uh, first being uh, maybe fear of getting hurt, fear of being rejected, fear of getting fired. And then there's this element of 
uh, fear of God. Sometimes we've heard other people, specifically parents, um, that might say, I'm going to put the fear of God in you, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Um, and the fear of God can be something that's conditioned uh, by our upbringing and so forth. Um, but I think all of us live at points in time very cautiously and carefully because we recognize bad things can happen in the world in which we live. And um, I put a question here on your handout that I think it would be fascinating to explore for a minute. And that is, what if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self? What would you say? Would you say that many of the things that you were afraid of never really panned out? Or, uh, you know, or do you look at it kind of the same way I'd have kind of the same reaction today as I did back then? Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Hmm. I think sometimes um, for most of us, uh, we look back and we go, why did I worry about that as much as I did? Um, why is it that there are these things that I was so afraid of and now I'm not afraid of them because I confronted them. Uh, and as I confronted them, I realized that maybe my fear magnified the potential uh, danger that was involved in the situation. So uh, here's another question. Do you think Jesus was ever afraid? Yeah, Esty says yes. Right, mm -hmm. Garden of Gethsemane. Right, and we're gonna look at that passage in just a moment uh, because I think it does illustrate for us um, that fear is a common emotion, not, a, not just among mankind, uh, but even the Son of God also had moments of fear as well. Do you think this detracts from his glory uh, in the sense of because he was afraid? Does that detract from who he is or does that actually encourage you? Yeah, Mark said it shows that he's really human. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Others, uh, anything that you... Okay. Um, what we're going to do is look at that passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you have a Bible tonight, turn open to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22... It's the paragraph that um, talks about this very lonely moment that he had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so in Luke chapter 22, after the Last Supper, if you come down to uh, verse 47, or, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, verse 39, rather, um, here's the paragraph as it talks about uh, Jesus praying in the garden, and um, let's just kind of get a feel for what it's uh, saying. In verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, 
pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew uh, about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And, in, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then the next paragraph is the paragraph that talks about uh, how he is... Um, he is confronted with Judas, and uh, it's there that he is arrested and taken away. So here in Luke chapter 22, it seems to me that whatever was going on inside of Jesus, um, it, it's evident by this physical description that is mentioned here in verse 44, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So the anxiety, the worry, and the fear um, caused this sweat that began to uh, come out of his body. Some people felt that, feel that he sweat drops of blood, but here in the NIV, it says his sweat was like drops of blood. Um, this might be a metaphorical way of describing his anxiety, you know, that it, it he was of such anxiety and of such a fearful moment that he prayed, Father, if at all possible, take this cup from me. Do you have some thoughts or observations of this paragraph? Yeah. They did. The he's talking about the disciples. So as he was saying, who was exhausted and who fell asleep in verse 45, um, you'll see here, as he arose from prayer, he went back to the disciples and he found them asleep. And the explanation was um, that they were exhausted. So we see even in this paragraph, fear in the disciples as well, because he has told them that he is going to the cross and that he is going to die. So whatever it is that Jesus is experiencing, the very explanation that he was sweating great drops of, like great drops of blood, tells us uh, the amount of emotion that was inside of him when he, uh, when he began to pray, if there was an, another way to uh, go about what God had called him to do. And um, of course, uh, it does not say it here, uh, but if you look at some cross-references, a part of what he prays as well is uh, not my will, but your will be done. So he prays, take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So, um, you know, there I think is a pretty vivid uh, picture that Jesus experienced real anxiety, real fear, 
uh, real emotion uh, of what he was going to go through. Some other thoughts? Mm -hmm. Well, let's go on because I think the next couple of verses tells us. So what Esty was just commenting is number one observation is fear exhausts us. Um, it's exhausting. But the second question was, what were the disciples uh, tempted when Jesus comes back and says, pray that uh, you will not fall into temptation? And so I think the next couple of verses probably gives us some insight to that. So look at verse 47 down through 50. It says, while he was still speaking to his disciples, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, why are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. So I think my observation on this, Esty, is the temptation is uh, to fight in this situation. Uh, it seems to me they failed that temptation. It was the desire to fight against those that were coming to arrest Jesus. Does any, anybody have a different thought on that? Oh, yeah. You mean confronting Judas? Yeah, probably. That'd be a, a temptation to, you know, for his actions, right? Yeah, well, they might have wanted to do him, too. Who knows? But... They were, they were, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're sorrowful because if you look at the context, they have just come out of the upper room where they had dinner together, and he has uh, told them that he is he's going to be arrested and he's going to die. So the sorrow, it seems to me, is they know what's coming and uh, they are sorrowful. It exhausts them. They fall asleep. And, um, and then the temptation, I think, is not embracing um, the way of Jesus, basically, because the next thing he says after this um, ear is cut off, it, it says in verse 51, but Jesus said no more of this. And he touched a man's ear and healed him. And Jesus then talks to the chief priests and, and asks them, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So 
it seems as though that they were not willing to embrace what Jesus eventually embraced. And that was, it was God, the father's will that he would go ahead and uh, go to the cross, that uh, that would be the best way forward. Um, any, under, any other thoughts? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. So part of the temptation Beth was just saying is um, uh, Peter denied that she, that he was going to deny Jesus, and of course that eventually comes about as well, where he denies Jesus in the courtyard. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. So what Esty was saying is that they've been following him for three years. They expected him to inaugurate the kingdom. And now that he has revealed that he's going to die, all of that has kind of bottomed out on them. And of course, that they're full of fear and anxiety what's going to happen next and sorrow as well because of of losing jesus so um that's one example probably the most powerful example of jesus carrying this emotion of fear uh another one it's not as ex as explicit as the one in the garden of gethsemane but in john chapter 12 verse 27 you can just listen to this you don't need to turn. It, it, Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, so this is when Jesus is talking to some Greeks that had come to question him. And um, what we he was, replies to them is that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that is, he's going to die. And it says in verse 27 that his heart is troubled. Um, so this is not something that he embraces without the heavy emotions of fear and anxiety and, and those type of things that he's going through. So in both of those illustrations, I think that Jesus is able to continue to endure the anguish uh, that he faces and continues to go to the cross. But I think for our purposes tonight, when we talk about fear, uh, it shows us that Jesus is a, a kindred spirit to us, that in his humanity, he too experienced those same type of fears that we endure in our life as well. So I ask a question at the bottom of this slide, what helped Jesus to endure? And um, what, what do you think helped him to endure to the cross? Same as helps all of us. That would probably be true. Except he knows it. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so Jesus. Yeah. 
So Esty, I know you can't hear real well because we're doing this off a, a laptop, but she talked, number one, prayer, number two, disciples, but also an angel came to help him in the garden as well to help strengthen him in that moment of fear. He did, yeah. He asked for help from God and the disciples. Exactly. So maybe, maybe perspective is a part of it too. And that is when we read about him saying in the John passage and in the other cross references in the gospel, um, he says, Father, glorify uh, me in this moment. My, um, in John chapter 12, verse 26, he says, my father will honor the one who serves me. So there is a perspective that Jesus has, uh, even in the midst of his fear, and that helps him, I think, uh, to endure what he's going to endure. And I think perspective kind of helps us as well to uh, help keep things in perspective, which then informs how we're going to respond to things. So I've given to you a couple of illustrations from the Old Testament. And the first one is out of Numbers 13. I'm not going to turn there. But I think we all know the story when the spies go into the promised land to spy out the land. The 12 of them come back to give a report. And uh, 10 of them say, no, we shouldn't go in and take the land. And two of them um, say we should go in and take out the uh, take the land. And those two um, individuals are Caleb and Joshua. And their perspective, I think, was God has brought us this far through the Red Sea to this moment in time where we can go into the land. And they really felt that God would continue to be with them. Uh, as they moved into the land. As a result of this, uh, the, the people followed the majority opinion and they turn away and they wander in the wilderness consequently for 40 years before they do enter into the land uh, under the leadership of Joshua. But if they could have kept the perspective of what God had already done in delivering them out of Egypt, they, they might have had the confidence in spite of their fear. And what was their fear? They're bigger than us and they're stronger than us. As they observe the land, they go, man, this is gonna be a real battle to come in and take the land. Another illustration is David and Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 17, um, you'll remember that Goliath is this huge warrior that comes out and taunts the Israelites and uh, as he does so over a number of days, uh, the Israelites are cowering in fear. And David is the one that steps up and he's going to confront Goliath. And it's interesting to me, his rationale as to why he felt that uh, he could conquer Goliath. You don't need to turn here, but First Samuel um, 17 he says this because um, Saul in verse 33 says, 
um, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a, son, uh, when a, a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he is defiled. He's defied, rather, the armies of the living God. It says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul says, okay, go and the Lord be with you. So David had a perspective that God had helped him before and that God was going to help him again. So perspective plays a, an important part of this. Um, a passage I do want you to turn to in the life of Jesus is in Mark chapter 4. So in Mark chapter four, we come to this incident where there's a storm that comes on the sea. And if you come down to verse 35, it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They were also, there were also other boats with the him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in that paragraph, it's interesting to me that several things are going on. Um, at, at the bidding of Jesus, are going to cross uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is more of a lake, but yet it has squalls that brings um, very powerful storms across it. There's this idea of sailing in the ancient world. It just was a common fear among Israelites. They weren't a seafaring type of people. And uh, this storm comes up and you see this contrast between uh, the disciples and Jesus. Jesus is sleeping. The disciples are afraid. And then Jesus asks a question that kind of pushes them to face their fear and what we find is that he, he really is uh, confronting this when he says, here, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And why would Jesus even ask that question? It might be he expects them to have a perspective in light of all the other experiences that they had with Jesus that they knew that he could take care of the situation, which they did. That's why they wanted to wake him up. But I find Jesus' response quite interesting, don't you? That he says to them, why are you afraid? And, and, uh, and it's kind of a Captain Obvious uh, 
question there. That is, we're afraid because of this storm. <laughs> it's just a normal, natural response here. Um, you still have no faith. So Jesus connects their fear to faith and, and keeping a certain perspective. So how does this paragraph strike you guys? Any thoughts on it? Why are you still afraid? Yeah. yeah. Why are you afraid I'm still here? But, you know, until he speaks and the, the storm dies down, the storm is still, you know, a potential danger. So there's a second passage that I think is a bookend to this subject. So go over to chapter six, same book, Book of Mark. And if you come down to verse 45, this time there's a little bit different reaction. Let's watch. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. <laughs> same, same situation, right? Okay, and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him, and they were terrified. Okay, they're afraid. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. There's one of those 65 times. Uh, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the lows. Their hearts were hardened. And when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to uh, wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in their market in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Um, so. Mark just told us a very similar story just a couple chapters earlier. What what's the difference here? Do you think? What what? Why would he include a second story like this? Yeah, trying their patience. Um, But here you find that he wasn't in the boat, okay? But did you, did you notice here, there's no indication that they're afraid at this point until they see him walking on the water. Now they're straining, it says here they're straining at the oars. But my observation is this, they were afraid before but there's no mention that they're afraid yet until they see this figure coming toward them. So what has changed? Did their perspective change at all, do you think? 
Um, I know that, but what I'm saying is they were, it doesn't seem as though they're afraid until that moment. So why aren't they afraid of this storm, do you think? I think of the ghost. Take a look, it says here, it says, verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. So it, it seems to me that it's not the storm, at, at least at this point. And maybe that's why Mark includes this second story. But then there's something new that they're afraid of. This time, what they're afraid of is this figure that's coming toward them. Um, let me see if I can find it. So this is interesting. Matthew tells the story. Okay, turn over to chapter 14 of Matthew. So Jesus is going to walk on the water here. This is the same story, okay? Down in verse 22. But what's fascinating is what Matthew includes that Mark does not. So verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You see, it's the same story. It's the same situation. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay. Mark closes off this story about this point, but Matthew then talks a little more. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came to toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink, uh, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Notice the extra information that Matthew provides. Peter's not afraid. Peter's not afraid. He jumps into the water. It's only when the wind doesn't die down, because maybe that's what he thought was going to happen you know, immediately. It doesn't die down immediately. It's then he gets afraid. Um, it seems to me, at least in my own experience, that when we face fears, we overcome our fears almost incrementally. And here the disciples are in a storm, they're fearful. Second story, they're in a storm, they're rowing feverishly, um, and then they see Jesus walking toward them. That's what they're afraid of. But Peter, then in this third version of the story, he says to Jesus, you know, um, let me come to you. Um, and, and, and so he gets into the water and he's going to meet Jesus on the water and yet at that moment, he's afraid. 
don't, don't you find a lot of times in life that you don't overcome fear all at once, that you almost do it incrementally, where you go through something, the next time you're eh, hesitant, but you're a little bit less afraid. And it seems as though you begin to progress. Um, and each time Jesus keeps bidding the disciples to have faith, it's almost as if take the next step forward. Um, you know, take the next step, have faith. Any thoughts on that? So it, I don't know if you could hear that online, but Esty was talking about how she was, uh, she saw online how uh, some of the crazy fears that people have, but one way that they overcome that is to face that fear. So let's just take dogs as an example. Uh, someone is afraid of dogs, but the way they overcome that is slowly to be exposed to dogs in the same room and then possibly uh, reaching out to pet the dog, uh, that type of thing, and that there's progression uh, slowly in, in getting over that fear. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a well, there's a sense, oh, that was okay, right? The dog didn't hurt me. Next time, I'm not as worried about that. However, if if that if there was a vicious dog that was in the room with that individual, that fear would come right back. So there mm -hmm. seems to be this confidence that builds over a course of time. And yet, I'm not sure that an individual, should they experience a bad situation with an aggressive dog or something that those fears wouldn't come right back, but, yeah. but they continue to, um, they continue to move ahead. So well, let's move ahead ourselves here. So what are some of the high costs of fear? Um, just here's four observations. Living with a mindset of fear will eat away sometimes at our self-worth. Um, when we are in the middle of a situation and as we um, feel that we cannot cope with the situation, we get down on ourselves. And yet when we stare down a situation, what we can find is that we can grow stronger because we have more self-confidence. Secondly, living with a mindset of fear often causes stagnation instead of growth. Um, it, 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 you get stuck where you are. Uh, number three, living with a mindset of fear will often cost joy as well, because there's always this low-grade anxiety that's in the back of our minds. And number four, living with a mindset of fear might cause regret. Um, you look back on your life, you're more confident now than you were 25 years ago, and you lost out on opportunities uh, 25 years ago because you didn't have the confidence then that you might have now. So those are just four observations. Any thoughts on any of those? 
Yeah, the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 So what Esty said is in the study that we did on the Enneagram, that there are certain personality types that um, where, where fear is a tougher battle than, than other personality types. And so they have to really work at it, which is so true. I mean, that's, we all have different strengths and weaknesses and certain, um, and I'm not saying that fear is a weakness, but what I'm saying is it's more prone in some individuals. So here's another thing that hurts us. And that is we live in a culture of fear. So uh, a sociologist by the name of Bernie Glasner uh, in his book wrote in a, in a culture of fear. Um, we live in a culture of fear. We're the most worried society that ever lived. Do you think that's a correct statement? I kind of do. It seems as though we're afraid of everything. So um, think about your parents and grandparents. I mean, they, uh, they might not even lock the front door at night when they go to bed. You know, um, they didn't worry about those type of things. But because of situations that we find ourselves in, including today, that shooting out in San Jose, we not only uh, lock the door, but we have security systems put in and that type of thing, too. So Yeah. So the conversation that's going on right now is that one of the reasons that we're so fearful is the amount of fearful things that we're exposed to on TV, the news cycle, uh, different things. We hear about these things immediately and it causes a lot more anxiety because um, in previous years when there was no internet and there's no 24 hour news cycle, you might have a five minute, uh, uh, five minute thing on that story at the, on the 11 o'clock news. Now CNN will run that story for hours and repeat it over and over and over again. So our exposure to it uh, makes us more fearful as well. That's what I, I put down, you see on the slide there. Fear is produced culturally through media hysteria. And I would say also conspiracy theories. I have never in my entire life seen the amount of conspiracy theories that gets propagated in the world that we're living now. And part of that is again, because of the internet the ability to sow a seed of doubt or conspiracy, and then it's able to extrapolate and multiply um, because of, of our ability to communicate all around the world immediately. So. Uh, no. 
So what Esty was just saying is the lady that cuts her hair does not read the newspaper and does not watch the news because she doesn't want to know all of these things that are going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes we do create our own fears. I, yeah. There is a point where you have too much exposure and your your inners can be saturated with negativity. You know, I know sometimes Esty will go, I just got to shut this off. You know, I've got to. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, that's enough. Right. Here's a couple of. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Fear does help you prepare, no doubt about that. But if it's an irrational fear, let's let's rewind for a few minutes back. To, do you remember Y2K when the whole world was going to fall apart and people were, everything's going to stop and you better uh, store up food? Think of just recently the whole to toilet paper run as well. I mean, you know, some of that stuff is kind of, yeah, yeah, right. So it, 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 some of it can be irrational and it can be built up uh, by media, by conspiracy and that hysteria, uh, no doubt. There's some other things though. Notice this slide. Fear is often produced in a family of origin. Um, you know, fear is handed down from parents to kids sometimes or to grandkids. Uh, and, and, and SD already mentioned about fear being more hardwired with the Enneagram illustration that some people have more of a uh, uh, genetic predisposition toward uh, fear as well. Uh, that, yeah. So, yeah. So, as he was saying, that her mom was afraid of uh, mice and she's afraid of mice, although one of her favorite cartoon characters is Mickey and Minnie Mouse. So, go figure. <laughs> But it's something that's learned, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, life on its own in our world does not tend to produce courageous faith. But notice some of the results that happen as a result of not facing some of our fears. Sometimes we procrastinate a lot. We put it off because we're afraid. Uh, sometimes we deny certain things, we're not realistic, and sometimes we can be very indecisive because of the fears that we have. Frozen with fear, that's right. Uh, there is one more passage of scripture that I do want you to turn to. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So 2 Timothy is is the, one of the last letters of the Apostle Paul. He's nearing the end of his life. And uh, he will be 
taken to prison and eventually executed. So he leaves Timothy in Ephesus, and it's not a very easy place to be a pastor, and Timothy is young, and he is an individual that has already kind of shown his fearful side when he um, when he went on one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys, the first missionary journey in the book of Acts, uh, he had to go home. Most people think that he was afraid there was some culture shock and he left the team. Uh, here we see that Timothy and Paul are back in, in each other's good graces. But it's interesting to me what he says. If you take a look at the very beginning here, he encourages Timothy, look at verse five, it says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So faith, like fear, can be passed down in our family of origin. And then he says, I am persuaded, it now lives in you also. And then in verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So what he's talking about is I commissioned you to go to uh, Ephesus and continue to pastor at this church. But there are moments, and if you read in the book of Acts, Ephesus was one of those places that Paul was run out of town. There was a, a riot that occurred when he went on his uh, missionary journey through uh, Ephesus. But he says in verse seven, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, uh, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. And uh, so the King James Version translates this, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Um, so timidity or fear, those things that cause us anxiety. And I think what he's telling Timothy is you can do this and and then he, he just talks about persevering, and he says, don't be ashamed uh, to testify about our Lord, or don't be ashamed of me as your mentor that I'm in prison, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, uh, God will get you through it. He'll give you the strength to do what you need to do. He'll, he has the adequate resources and I don't know about you, but I do think that God supplies the resources we need, usually in the moment. Uh, it's not like you can stockpile it. It's not like you can put it uh, in your storage closet and pull it out when you need it. It's kind of at, at the time. And, that, and with that in mind, you have to kind of face your fears one day at a time and, and kind of trust God in the midst of it. And um, at times you have to initiate some courage to, to step forward a little bit farther than what you did in previous times. Any thoughts on that? So um, I guess the big deal here, if you, can't, if you come back to um, the stories of Jesus, when we look at um, the invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, when he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
it's this reminder that Jesus is with us. Um, his presence is with us. And what we can be uh, confident of is that he will not leave us. And that's in the worst of circumstances. There's another story in the Gospel of Mark. This time it's in chapter five, and it's quite lengthy. I won't get into all of it, but uh, here is a story of a man who we're told was possessed by a, a legion of demons. And there's all kinds of things. The reason I kind of put this down as a cross-reference is because there seems to be something more that is going on here than simply a man that is demon-possessed. And the reason I say that is um, he's an individual that has been ostracized from the community. So he's living in this anxiety of being tortured spiritually, but sociologically, he we, we find that this also enhances the problem. So in verse one, it says they went uh, across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often uh, been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Well, you talk about a, an extreme situation. So what they did is they couldn't, he was a strong individual evidently, and they couldn't tie him down. So eventually they get, what they do is exile him uh, to the place of the dead. Um, here he's among the tombs. And in isolation, he's continuing to cry out. And it says here in verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his feet in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And of course, it, it can be a reference to the amount of oppression spiritually that this guy is going through. However, what is Legion? That's a military term. And uh, a legion of Roman soldiers, there's something else that's going on in this text here. And it seems as though it's connected to the oppression that this man is going through. Question, when this man was out of control, who was it that tried to bind him? It was probably the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers, those individuals that then take him, exile him. And um, I love the way the story finishes. Jesus casts the demons into uh, a herd of pigs, and then they rush over a steep bank into the lake and they drown. And then this is, I just love this. Uh, it's the potential of Jesus in the midst of our fears. Um, it says in verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? So now the fear, uh, I mean, now the danger is gone, right? I mean, he's sitting there in his right mind. He is an individual that, you know, 
has been healed. Now they became afraid. Question, why are they afraid? Why do you think they're afraid? Jesus is powerful. What's that? I don't know. Is that what you said, ladies? The power of Jesus? Is that what they are the afraid of? The power of Jesus, yeah. yeah. They're afraid of him now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they were afraid of Jesus or you, do you think they're uh, continued to be afraid of the man? No, I think that Jesus so, showed so much power that he was really of God that mm. they were afraid. Yeah. Yep. So um, is, the rest of this paragraph finishes off in verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well that had been uh, rushed off the bank. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're so afraid, they said, can you just go away? Isn't that interesting? So... Um, you know, fear is a strange thing. Here in this situation, you would think they would go, we don't have to be afraid of this guy anymore. He's been healed. But actually, it stirred up fear inside of them. And it might be exactly like you said, uh, Brenda, that, you know, they are afraid of the power of Jesus. Or maybe, or maybe they are afraid that Jesus is going to have an economic uh, a problem for their community. You have to ask the question, who lost all the money by the pigs drowning? You know, I don't know. But there could be a number of things going on here. But anyways, I think the point of this. Now, notice it says in verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. So the Decapolis is up near the... Uh, the Sea of Galilee up to the north and to the east. It's a uh, deca meaning 10, polis meaning city. It's an area that had 10 cities, but it's a Gentile area. It's not a Jewish area. Well, if it was pigs, it had to be Gentile, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. If there's pigs, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, anyways, um, this is just some... Just some, uh, just some thoughts about fear, um, and we see it kind of in the, the ministry of Jesus and how it interacts with our own fears and stuff like that. Have any other thoughts or comments on this? If not, um, that's where we'll close off for tonight. And uh, going to wind this study down within the next week or two. But uh, any other thoughts tonight? If not, uh, that's where I'll close off. And I hope you have a great night, everyone. And uh, <laughs> enjoy the rest of the evening. And we'll see you soon. Okay. Right. Okay. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.